I think there are special days in Senator's history, and I think today is one of those days. Tim, what do you think about an eight-year extension? I'm in. What's happening, everybody? Welcome inside another episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast as we are inside a shortened week, Thanksgiving in the rear view, uh, uncomfortably so, baseball in the rear view, and uh, we're ready for the NHL season to start. When we do that, we always have a couple of, uh, of team-specific team preview shows to do, and when it comes to the Senators, our buddy Graham Nichols is always good enough to make the time. How are you today, man? Doing really well. How are you, Matt? I'm doing okay. Uh, I assume you you saw the uh, the dispatching of the Blue Jays as they were they were put out to pasture this weekend. Yeah, I was watching that. I mean, yeah, I mean, every year good teams lose, right? Yeah. It's just the nature of the playoffs as always, is. But I mean, everybody's gonna everybody's gonna complain about it, and you know, I what do you what do you do? Like they laid an egg in the first game, and then you know, game two they put up a great eight run cushion, and mm-hmm. then yeah. It was, they imploded and there's you know i don't know everybody's like ripping on uh schneider for for pulling gossman early on but it's like you know he had a long layoff in the in the bottom half bottom half of the fifth inning came in and just wasn't executing right away maybe you give him a little bit longer leash to get out of himself but uh they went to the pen and uh it just didn't work out unfortunately this was one of those nights where literally you know if you played that game with an 8-1 lead a thousand times over again you know you're getting through. It'll have it. Just everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and uh, oh, for sure. And I mean, even if you look at the Statcast data of like that fly ball that was hit in between yeah. like Springer and Bichette, like off the bat, there's a 75 percent chance statistically that someone's going to catch that ball. It's just like it's just you know, like Springer didn't call off Bichette, and then peels off, pulls away to his left, still gets the brunt of the collision, and you know, receives a concussion and uh, what he sprained his shoulder as Sounds well. Like it, yeah, that was that was the news. So it's just like. I don't know. It's just like when it rains, it pours, and uh, in that instance, it's just uh, it's an unfortunate situation. But um, you know, they got to Robbie Ray. They did the bad did what they could. It's just a matter of just execution and a couple small plays, and then uh, yeah, that's all. That all that's all it is. It's bullpen. It's everything else, and everybody's going to kind of microanalyze what's what to do with the Jays. But I mean, even if they return the same team as next year, like they should still conceivably be pretty good. But um, Baltimore's on the upswing. Tampa's always strong. Boston will probably invest some money in their team again. And then the Yankees are the Yankees. Are the Yankees so they're going to spend some money too. So it's going to be it's going to be tough and it's going to be competitive. But it's uh, it's a fun – It's it, the AL East is fun, man. It's it's always, uh, it's always a whirlwind. And obviously it's disappointing when a good team gets beat out. But you got to take your lump sometime too. You can't win it every year. So <laughs> – Take my lumps as a as a Toronto sports fan. I'm not familiar with with what that might feel like, and and to blow a huge oh, game. And, yeah, because <laughs> the Raptors won a championship, TFC's won a championship. Oh, like Toronto sports is just those really are the two teams I care about the least. In the uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course they are. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, like if woe is me, it's like there's there's some cities out there that haven't enjoyed anything. So it could be it could definitely be worse. So. It's true enough. I'll let the good listener know if you want to hear about another Toronto sports team that frequently blows large leads in spectacular fashions while the world is watching. Uh, check out our Leafs preview. Jeff Fayette was good enough to jump on and do that. It's up at talkanaudio.com or on your podcast feed here. Check that one out as well. Uh, before we dive into the Sens here today, uh, what are you drinking today, man? I know you've, you're always good for a craft beer. Uh, I went to the LCBO this afternoon before picking up my daughter from daycare and I grabbed a Cosmic Latte from Beyond the Pale, oh, which a is beer. a golden ale with cocoa nibs and coffee and then i also have a whitewater high tide uh, new england ipa which i believe i've had on your show before but uh when it's good you go back to the well of course so, man and that cosmic latte is nice man that's a great beer perfect man what an old that's pro. what i'm starting he's been what about you? what are you doing uh this is one i brought back from uh cottage country actually actually on labor day and somehow got tucked into the back of the fridge and, and kind of forgot it was there it's one my old man picked up for me at the fenland falls brewing company and uh this is uh well it's not overly creatively named. This is just called their porter. And, uh, but I believe it's kind of a, a coffee porter to go in for here. 5.1%. And, uh, yeah, it says it's going to be, you know, the, that usual porter stuff, right? It's going to be kind of uh, chocolatey, very dark, obviously. So I'm looking forward to getting into that, man. It is, uh, it is that time of year where the dark beers start to, to show up far more plentiful than they do in the summer when it's all about the sours and the IPAs and stuff. So this is my, uh, my glorious time of year. 
Sorry, man. I thought you might pick me up while I took a sip there and uh, and carry. <laughs> I thought you were just going to wax poetic about the seasonal quarters uh, and stuff. I, I thought you were just going to keep going. I often do that, actually. Yeah. Um, this one uh, on first poll, there's not a lot going on. Maybe uh, maybe it'll improve as we go. That's I'm I'm honestly a little disappointed here as we start, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, why don't we start there, where there might be potential. For disappointment. And we'll get into all the reasons for optimism and, and how things have looked at training camp and everything. But I just wonder, as we've gone through training camp and this huge offseason that the Senators have had, bringing in some big names and getting key pieces locked up long term, it has been all positive. And, and Sens fans have every reason to be excited. And I, at times over the summer, and I'm sure you saw the same thing, that maybe expectations started to run a little wild and maybe even a little out of control uh, as we've actually got in to the season uh, or into the training camp portion of things and watched how this is shaking out. What do you think reasonable expectations are for this team coming off this off season? And are they in line with what the fan base might be expecting right now? Um, well, it depends. Like I'm, I'm listening to you talk and describe the Ottawa fan base and, and everything on social media, and that's just like a small microcosm of the the bigger fan base. But I, I, I don't see people like lavishly heaping praise on the organization, saying this is a de facto playoff team. Like I, I don't, I don't see a lot of that. I think the most reasonable expectations are for this team to play competitive games, which I know is like a pure Dorianism. Um, to say that we just want to play competitive games mm-hmm. and and that's that's the big mantra and it has been that way for the past four years now um but in saying that like i think this is a team that could definitely vie for a playoff spot i mean you have to be lucky you have to be good and you have to stay healthy and you know if the centers can do all three of those things they they stand a chance but um obviously they've added some big pieces up front uh you didn't mention them by name but like Claude Giroux, and Alex DeBrincat are huge additions to the top six. I mean, if you can replace Alex Formington and Connor Brown with those two, I think you're doing pretty yes. well. And um, they also added Cam Talbot in net, which gives them a little bit more veteran stability. Obviously, um, he is out for the foreseeable future. The next five to seven weeks is the um, conservative timetable on his return, which means he could miss upwards of 22 games if you're talking the first two months of the season. So um, that's a significant blow to the goaltending position. But um, I think for this organization, you have to be – you have to be happy. You have to have that optimism. Um, and I, I don't really blame fans if they, if some of them are getting a little uh, widely optimistic about the team's chances at the gate. I think, you know, it's been such a trying time for the better part of the last 15 years. We don't really know, you know, if the stuff is going well on the ice, it's not going well off the ice and vice versa. And it's just, uh, you know, fans of fans of they've had a really rough go and if, if they want to be ha- loud and proud and happy about this franchise they deserve to because this offseason was the first offseason of normalcy that i can remember um it, it's been a long time coming and they're you know obviously in saying that there's a hockey canada distraction overhanging the team in regards to Alex Foreman's and drake mm-hmm. batherson's participation uh with that club but um aside from that this offseason was better as normal as you can get and uh it's just so encouraging just to be able to like go on Twitter and social media and just see people talking line combinations right. and prospect of trade avenues and like what the organization could or could do. And it's just, it's just, it's just nice. <laughs> it's such a refreshing <laughs> break uh, from the usual dreary, Oh God, what's the owner going to say next kind of thing. Um, and it's, it's changed. I think everybody's kind of, everybody's kind of happy. You know, you look at what they're doing off the ice, they're engaged in social initiatives. They're, they're being much more visible in the community. They're at red blacks games. They're at the, you know, they're at the Panda, uh, the Panda game where Carlton's playing pride this year in a meaningful way. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like they're just, they're more out there. They're more engaging. They're, they're trying to obviously be part of like the social fabric of the city and the, and the city desperately needs that. I I don't think it's, I don't think this organization is at a point where they can simply say, Hey, we're a Canadian team in a Canadian market and you better come out and, support us because if you don't we're going to leave you know like that was the old that was the old hat it's and it got tiresome and turned away a lot of season ticket holders it turned away a lot of the business community i think people are getting re-engaged with this product and yeah you're going to see some of that optimism come back but um 
I think I think the reasonable expectation is that this team needs to challenge for a playoff spot. I'm not going to say that they're going to get in because, you know, looking at their offseason, yeah, they addressed the top six, but they obviously didn't address the elephant in the room, and that was the the back end. They didn't address their defense, and I think it's a lot of pressure to put on a kid like Jake Sanderson to come in in his first year and just thrive right away and help uh, buoy this thing and be an anchor back there and just stabilize everything and, and push this team to another level. Um, I, I just think it's 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 hard to ask a kid to do that. And uh, especially at that position. So uh, it remains to be seen. Maybe he will. Maybe he will. Sure. And, and if he does, then everybody's going to be ecstatic about that. But um, they need, I, I still think they need help on the back end, uh, whether it winds up being another trade for Jake Chicken or uh, a less expensive alternative. Um, they, they definitely need to improve the right side of that blue line. And until that happens, I can't really say confidently that this is a team that's going to push for a playoff spot. You happen to get a look at, uh, at the Habs defense going into opening night oh yeah well i mean oh ottawa God. ottawa ottawa rolled through the four straight so yeah uh, what do you what do you do what do you do it's just it's preseason hockey and yeah, it, it's chris like, weidman and four rookies and you're just like the i guess and uh david savard that's uh, matheson yeah it's just yeah well, it is what it is, right, right now i, guess. I know but then, yeah Waiting for, but they got Jack Eye, right? Jack Eye yeah. is going to do everything. He's, sure. he's a big prospect, right? So um, uh, we'll move through the uh, the sends, you know, kind of positionally here as we go. I, I did want to stop on training camp just briefly and ask if you saw anything that surprised you. I think when we opened camp, you know, most people sort of expected that that Stutzlow would get that first look with Debrinket and. Um, with Drew because the first line had been so successful last year. There was no real reason to bring uh, break that up unless you had to. I, I'm sure throughout the season we'll see some different looks. But that seemed to play out the way we thought it would. Uh, Jake Sanderson, I think a lot of people were hoping, would be able to, you know, you know, obviously make the opening night roster and make an impact, but you don't know until you actually get him in there facing NHL competition. He appears to have looked fine. Was there anything coming out of camp that actually did surprise you or, or stand out and catch you off guard a little bit? I would say catch me off guard, but Shane Pinto had an excellent preseason. You know, like he finished second in scoring and preseason scoring behind Marco Rossi at Minnesota. Like he had eight points in six games, four goals, four assists. Um, Tied with uh, doing, Dennis Mulligan. Yeah. Yeah, and Nicholas Robertson who got yeah. sent down to the Marlies, right? Yeah, so, it's going um, good there, yeah. <laughs> or he could be an emergency recall. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, like he's coming off a shoulder injury. Obviously, like he's he's had a little bit of experience at the NHL level before, but he still qualifies as, as a rookie because of his injuries and such. Um, but he's like a two-way center that, you know, you're you're looking down Ottawa's lineup and Ottawa's always had guys who could play at the top of their lineup, but the depth hasn't necessarily always been there. Mm-hmm. But now you throw him on a line with like Tyler Mott and Matthew Joseph, and all of a sudden you're talking about a third line that could actually get a lot of opportunities and play just because of their speed, their two-way ability. And uh, if Pino's scoring keeps up, you know, there's a little bit of finish to that as well. And it's kind of exciting just to think, well, okay, now it's not just about the top six. It's about the top nine. Mm-hmm. And it's a relatively young group that's locked up for the foreseeable future. So that's exciting in itself. But um, aside from that, no, I, I, the team defense still concerns me at some points. Like they just give up a lot of shots and, and there's stretches of play where they get hemmed in and a little bit loosey-goosey defensively. And um that that that'll happen. It's a young team as well, but I mean, there's there's going to be so much pressure on DJ Smith and and, and Pierre Dorian and to a lesser extent Dorian because of what he did in the offseason. Yeah. But like DJ Smith's kind of got to tighten the reins a little bit, and um, it, it starts with everybody, right? Like to a man, like this whole team's got to tighten up defensively in their own end. They can't, they can't. You got to be able to win the tight games, but I, I, I kind of, I feel like this could be like a, a throwback to like the years before, where it's like they'd always just try and they just get in a shootout with other teams, and they chase like a five-four game or a four-three game or a six-four game kind of thing. But they're just running and gunning, and it kind of gets loosey-goosey. It's really hard to, you know, it's entertaining and everything, but I mean, it's really hard to win like that when the games get tight in the postseason. The games start to matter a little bit more. So. um that, that's probably think, the only concern. And it for me, it's just, is is DJ Smith going to be the right guy to lead this forward? And I think that's the big question uh, for this team because, you know, they've gotten off the poor starts 
in the last uh, three years of his term, right? So it's just right. like there's a lot of pressure on this group to start well because of all the optimism and all this groundswell of positivity coming into the offseason. Uh, it, it'd be terrible if they just laid, a, laid an egg uh, coming out of the preseason. So I think there's a lot of pressure on this group. Uh, the young guys need to take a step forward, and I think the defensive part of the coin uh, is going to play a huge role in that, especially with guys like Kachuk and Batherson. Like Those guys are the first-line guys. And they they too have to step up. So it's 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 going to be an interesting time. Like there, there's there's a lot to be excited about. There's a lot to look forward to and, and and keep an eye on. And there's a lot of things that could turn the sideways a little bit as well. But it's going to be exciting, man. It's a young young team with a lot of confidence and swagger coming out of training camp. It seems like they all really gel and, and like each other. And it seems like they should grow organically. But uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure for them to do that. So we'll see. Uh, one of the things, and and you'll correct me, and maybe you. This didn't catch you off guard as much, uh, obviously, since you didn't bring it up. But I, I sort of thought that fourth line center battle through, and this is something we do as Canadian hockey fans, instead of focusing on like the important players, it's who's going to have that seventh D or 13th forward spot that we somehow get honed in on. But uh, Derek Broussard gets a contract and it sort of looked through a lot of camp in, in my opinion, like he might have been, obviously they invited him in, they wanted to give him a chance, but they had had Gambrell and, and he was you know, reasonably solid in that fourth line center spot. Mark Kostelik was somebody that uh, was impressing a lot of people at camp. And I sort of felt like maybe it wasn't going to be there for Derek Broussard. At the end of the day, were you surprised that they did lock him up and give him a contract for the year and see, you know, how that's going to play out? Uh, yes and no. Like I think coming into camp and towards the end of the summer, I thought like really Greg uh, would have yeah. uh, a really reasonable chance of making the lineup simply because of the, uh, you know, positional flexibility. He can play center and left wing. He has that gritty kind of like bottom six depth element that, that the senators covet. And he's got a little bit of skill as well. Right. Um, but he is a, you know, he's, he's a young kid who, who hasn't played a lot of professional hockey yet. And so once he got hurt at the world juniors and uh, missed part of camp and then only got into, a, I believe he got a one or two games, uh, down the stretch, like I think that really opened the door for a guy like Broussard. And whereas, like, really, Greg could probably play off the lineup if they needed him to. I think Broussard offers that. Whereas guys like Mark Kaslik or a Parker Kelly or an Austin Watson, like those guys are pretty much relegated to the fourth line. Yeah, you're not you're not going to slide those guys up. They just don't have enough skill to do it. Um, so I think Derek Broussard's presence gives them a bit of flexibility and just some veteran depth that they otherwise wouldn't have. Because, you know, if one guy in the top nine gets hurt, you don't want to throw a Mark Kasselik up there. You don't want to go to Belleville where they just don't have like a quality center that you can call up and, and rely on that guy. I think, I think Broussard offers them uh, an element that they otherwise lacked. And that, like, I know Dylan Graham Gambrell signed a one year um, one way deal in the off season, but like, I wasn't really that impressed with what he brought to the table last year. Hmm. You know, he's just, he was just, to me, he was just a warm body who had some NHL experience. And then, you know, you can find those guys all around the league. So, um, yeah, just, it, just getting back to Broussard, he had a fantastic camp. And uh, once he kind of, once he was invited in and, and he played a couple games, and you saw how DJ was moving him up and down the lineup. I, I think that's kind of when the writing was on the wall. That this is a guy that they, they like. Obviously, there's familiarity from his time here back in 2017. But, um, I think there's just enough there. There's enough elements to his game that you can like and appreciate. And he's just another veteran presence. He's just inexpensive and it fits and it, and it works and there's nothing wrong with that. And you know, you're just talking about a fourth line player who can play up the lineup and, and that's what he offers you. So I'm, I'm happy for the player and I'm happy for the organization. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he plays a big role for the team this year. One of the, uh, the question marks that, kind of had circled around the team for a bit, whether it had been, you know, with Matt Murray or Anton Forsberg when he first arrived or uh, was goaltending. And they did go out this year. They unloaded the Matt Murray problem on a team that shall not be named. They brought in uh, um, Cam Talbot and uh, he's going to start the season injured, but they went to try and sure that up. I, I think you and I talked about it maybe around the time. I didn't really see that move as super necessary, but I do understand the idea of having a veteran in that spot. Um, as opposed to Gustafsson. Uh, but what do you make of this goaltending? Because my opinion on this show, on just about any team, is that goalies are freaking voodoo, and I don't know year to year what to expect out of them. I wouldn't have expected two years ago Anton Forsberg to be in a position that any team would be counting on him as their number one as we started this year, and yet he has absolutely earned the opportunity to do that. What do you make of Ottawa's goaltending to start the year? 
I think historically Ottawa's always had like a lot of success finding guys off the scrap heap, you know, whether it's like an Andrew Hammond who's coming in and playing like a stretch of games where he has success or a Mike Condon or even Craig an Anderson's Nilsen. career wasn't we weren't Craig really Anderson. Sure well, I mean, like he, he was, he, he, he was really good. Play. He was really good in Colorado for a year before Ottawa yeah. acquired him. Then his second year in Colorado, he kind of fizzled and Ottawa picked him up and revitalized his career as well. But like yeah, like I was kind of always had success finding these guys. It's just like getting that sustained performance out of them once they have that initial success, which is kind of you know every every year it's like, well, this guy stinks now, or he gets hurt, and then you have to you have to throw him to the wayside. But like Anton Forsberg, um, they're they're leaning on him heavily. Um, you know, if you're talking about Cam Talbot missing 22 games the first two months of the season, um, you're going to have to rely on Forsberg heavily because. Uh, Magnus Helberg, uh, to his credit, he's had a lot of success over in the KHL the past four years. Um, Picked him up off waivers from Seattle. He's here got he's yeah. got what five? I think it was like five games or six games of NHL experience for like 120 minutes. Yeah. Like he hasn't even played like two full games. It's yeah. just the, it's just appearances where he's uh, relieving guys. So um, there's going to be a lot of pressure. Obviously, Ottawa doesn't have any back to backs for the first two months of the season, so there's an opportunity to ride Forsberg uh, as long as they can. But at the same time. As long as the games are meaningful, I guess they'll just ride him till he goes. But at the same time, you're kind of worried about load management. Are you going to burn him out right away? Um, and at the same time, you feel for Cam Talbot, right? Like he's probably looking at this situation as a 35 year old goalie, saying, "Okay, I got one year left on my deal." Um, Anton Forsberg's the, the the guy apparently, and at 35 years old, this is probably the last opportunity to cash in on another contract, a multi year deal. Mm-hmm. So he's probably looking at this situation like it's ripe. There's a team on the upswing. Maybe there's a chance he can put together a good season. But um, now, now, you know, if he misses the first two months of the season at 35 years old, it might take him a while to get caught up. Yeah, might take him a while to find his game. And you know, I, I look at the Minnesota team that he played on last year. I think I talked about this with you last time I was on the show. But like his stats were good. He appeared in the All Star game. But uh, you look at his underlying numbers. If you look at like evolving hockey's underlying numbers, like his goals saved above expected was was negative. He let in more goals than he should have based off of the shot quality uh, that he faced. And that's just a product of playing for a really strong defensive team in Minnesota. So is coming to a team like Ottawa where they give up a ton of shots and quality chances the best place for him to be? I don't know, at 35 years of age, it, it might not be, but that was the role of the dice that the Senators took. And he, unfortunately, he got hurt and uh, fractured a rib, and he'll miss the next five to seven weeks. So um, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Forsberg. If he's not if he's not what he showed last year, uh, this team, unfortunately, could be in a little bit of trouble because otherwise you're counting on Magnus Helberg to play games, and he just <laughs> simply hasn't at the NHL level. You know, Even though he has had success overseas, it's just it. You know, whether it's international player in the KHL, it just hasn't manifested itself in opportunities here uh, in North America. But um, he's a big Swedish goalie, so Ottawa's had success with those guys before in the past, too. So we'll see where this goes. Yeah, true. And and you mentioned the schedule maker does do Ottawa a bit of a favor here to start the year as, um, you know, Forsberg has never been asked to play like 60 games before, but uh, there is a, he's at least not going to be hit with a bunch of back-to-backs here to start. So we'll see how that shakes loose. The blue line, man, that is, you mentioned it earlier on, the elephant in the room. Um, and there's, I suppose, a chance that it could be fine if Jake Sanderson is able to come in and do kind of a Kale McCarr thing. And that is obviously a horrible expectation to put on any kid. But if he can come in and just be a capable top four defenseman, the defense could be fine. But there is reason for... Uh, skepticism, at least to start until we see how this goes. Uh, it looks like they tried hard over training camp to, you know, give Brandstrom one last chance. They were willing to try Holden on both sides. Um, you know, what are they going to start the year with here? And, you know, how do you see that playing out uh, as, as we kind of move through the early part of the season? Yeah, they even have Brandstrom play both sides. I know you mentioned Nick Holden playing as offside as well. And like those are two guys who've had experience doing it. And I think Eric Brandstrom in particular has expressed his preference on playing as offside. So uh, those are just options and more flexible opportunities that present themselves. Um, but yeah, like I think for Ottawa, it all comes back to, do you really want Travis Hamannick and Nikita Zaitsev playing minutes, right. significant minutes for this team? And, and I think the answer is no. And that's what they're really missing. They're missing that, that middle that middle pairing defenseman who can play the right side and kind of stabilize things. Because as it says, like Travis Hamannick is going to start on a pairing with Jake Sanderson. And I don't necessarily know that that, that at this stage of his career, like Hamannick's the right stabilizing presence right. for Sanderson. Although Sanderson could be really good and could sure. make him look really good as well. Maybe so he's the stabilizing. 
factor <laughs> yeah, on potentially, that there, yeah. yeah, potentially. But I mean, like you look at Ottawa's right side, and that's where the weakness is. And even if you look at like Artem Zub, for example, like he's in the last year of his deal as well. So there isn't a lot of like long term stability at that position, unless you're banking on prospects like Jacob Bernard Docker or Lassie Thompson to step in and be that guy right away. But I mean, if if those guys were going to be close and, and you figure this would be the year that they could step into that role and, and kind of just steal a job away from one of the vets. But neither of those players stood out in uh, the preseason and took that job. So it's just, I, I think Ottawa's kind of in that situation where you're looking at those guys long term now, unfortunately, and you're saying, well, uh, these guys will probably play NHL minutes at some time, but like, are these guys going to be impactful NHL players? And, and that's the question that they really have to ask themselves. And if the answer is no, then they have to go out and find that player because, you know, beyond this year, they just, there isn't a piece locked up that they can count on it's you know one of those things that all summer we talked about that everybody knew defense was the spot where they were going to need some help and we sort of expected that with the role Pierre was on he would go find it now if it's not out there at a reasonable price it's best not to force it and, and turn yourself into a bad trade somewhere but how long do you think he can go? Like if the team is, is scoring the way it should and the goaltending's performing the way it should, but they're leaking shots all over the place and this defense just isn't where you need it to be, do you expect that he'll get the itchy finger or will he have the patience to kind of wait this out? Does it depend on the results, like wins versus losses early on? How's this going to go? Like might we still it's, see an early season and that's, trade? And, and that's that's the danger, right? Like, you know, if you told me, even in the offseason, like every media availability he had around the draft, it's like we have to find a defenseman. Defense is what we're looking for. And nothing ever happened. And it's like, you know, I, I've talked about this with other people before on their shows, and it's just like, you know, you you sign Alex to Brinkat. There's no guarantees beyond this year. Yeah, he's an RFA at the end of the year. Like, you got to put your best foot forward with him. And I'm not saying contract negotiations with him uh, are put ahead of team success or anything like that. But, like, you're going to put your best foot forward. You want to give this guy, like, the best showing and representation of Ottawa that you can, and you can't find a right defenseman to buoy this group. Like, not even, like, an addition. Like, yeah. like they didn't, like... I wrote a piece um, a few months ago, like looking at like, you know, like depth defenseman who might be able to help boy this thing a little bit, whether it's like a third or second line pairing guy. And there were some guys out there that might be easier to target, but like Jake Shaker is like the name that's out there all the time. And I don't even know if that's a good fit just right. based off the, op- based off the opportunity cost, his injury history. And the fact that you're at, you'd be asking him to play as offside. Like that puts a lot of, that puts a lot of pressure uh, on him and it puts a lot of pressure on period orient to, to make a move that works like you just don't want to sell the farm for a guy who might not necessarily be the right fit for your team just because he's the best player available at this time like you might have to wait and then you know like you said in your question like how long can you wait and is this player going to become available that you desperately need and you know for any team for any team that's entering negotiations with Ottawa, you kind of have them over a barrel because this is their this is the achilles heel and I just don't know if there's a serviceable option. And then you throw money into it as well. Like, I think I'm looking at their cap situation right now. They have a projected cap hit of 77 million. So like, mm. how much is this, how much is this addition going to cost and what's it going to cost you to get them? And those are the kind of questions that you have to ask because I have no idea what their payroll is or what they're allowed to do or, or anything like that in terms of their internal cap. But, um, if this team's really going to make a mark and put a dent on this season, they really, really need to help, uh, their defense, their left side, because the right side options right now aren't aren't viable long term. The forwards, that's where the excitement is. That's the smoke show. Everybody's excited and and rightfully so when you look at Ottawa's top nine at this point. Um, you know, Stutzla on the upswing, everybody expecting him to have a breakout season to bring it and Giroux are new, shiny toys. Everybody's excited about that. Uh, Josh Norris coming off a huge season, Batherson coming back from injury uh, with potential to put up a, a ton of goals, uh, Pinto back from injury, Tyler Mott comes in as like a nobody and all of a sudden looks fantastic in that third line role. Man, this is an exciting group of forwards and, you know, one of those groups that all of a sudden, if things go the way that most people expect they probably will, you're putting in the top, I don't know, seven, eight forward groups in the league, potentially, if, if things go well. How does this, um, you know, in, in your mind, where would you kind of rank this this group of forwards league-wide? And is there, you know, I, this is one of the things that I, I look at as, as someone who does not 
who does not particularly care for the Ottawa Senators. And I, I suddenly, I look at that forward group and go, that is bloody formidable. And, uh, you know, how do you see the, the forward group performing this year? Yeah, offensively, I think they're going to do really well, obviously, barring injury and everything else. I think, I'm hoping Tim Stoos will take us another step. Like, I thought he looked phenomenal down the stretch last year. Um, but, I, like, judging with the line combinations of everything else, it seems like, you know, maybe there is a little bit of flexibility in terms of where he could play or who he could line up with. And, um, you know, I thought de facto he was going to start with Giroux and Debrinkap, and maybe that's not necessarily the case. They flipped him and Norris a couple times. Hmm. So uh, we'll see. Um, defensively, I like defensively, like, you know, like it's it's one thing to be great offensively. It's another thing to be good two ways, right? Yeah. Like you look at all the elite teams throughout the league, like you got guys at the top end of the lineup who can play two ways. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Ottawa's there yet. You know, like Brady Kachuk's numbers defensively were terrible. Uh, Drake Batherson, you know, he he could use some work as well. Yeah. I think Clojure is probably the best two way forward that Ottawa's added. Oh man, uh, in a long time. Uh, I think he'll have a positive impact there. Tim Schluss's defensive game's growing, and and he showed uh, some real promise there. Josh North, I think, can play a capable two way game. So I think, like, in, in saying all that, like, I think you know, improving the back end is going to help. Like, it's going to markedly help uh, improve their numbers and the underlying metrics and all that, all that other stuff. But um, the onus is on these guys to round into form and show that they can compete against the other team's top lines in a two-way game, not just not necessarily just to get into a firefight with them, but like engage, take advantage of them and, and uh, just kind of build off that momentum. So will they? Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> but uh, offensively, I'm expecting big things. I think this is a top 10 offense uh, just based off the forward talent alone. And again, like going back to the third line uh, that I mentioned earlier, like I think that has the real potential to be a young and encouraging group uh, you know, Mott's 27, Matthew Joseph's 25, and you're talking about Shane Pinto being 21. Like, that's a that's a really young and strong third line that you can build with for the next few years. And if Shane Pinto appears to be more than the third line center, if he if he grows with his responsibilities, maybe he surpasses one of the centers up the roster. Like, if that happened by the end of the year, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised. Yeah, he's he looks solid. Uh, how many of these guys... You know, I'm going to put you on the spot. How many of these guys are crossing 65 points? Um, assuming everybody stays healthy, I'd yeah. say Kachak, Norris, Drew, Debrinkat, Batherson, 100%. Um, with Pinto, it depends on where he plays. Uh, Stusel is That's as the well. name I was wondering about, yeah. Uh, I think he'll, he will for sure. Um, so I'd say six at yeah. least. And everybody I think Pinto, de- Pinto yeah. depending on power play time and everything else, like I think he has a chance to put up 45 plus. For sure. Uh, the special teams, I, I think the PP has a chance to be lethal. I'm a little worried about the PK, but frankly, that all comes back to the way the defense looks. Uh, how do you see that shaking? They've had a few different looks on the power play, and there was all kinds of talk with, you know, very good top six. Who's going to get lof- left off of that top group? Do you balance it out? Uh, what did they show us in camp, and, and do you think that's going to be what they stick with? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, they the whole... The whole talk going into like the preseason was like, oh god, you're putting Alex to break out on the second unit, right? Which is kind of controversial, like to me, kind of kind of controversial in the sense that like, you know, here's the guy who scored 40 goals twice, probably could have had more if the seasons were like a full 82 game yeah. slate, and you're going to start him on the second unit to give the placeholders who were here the year before <laughs> an opportunity. It's like, you're talking about one of the most prolific goal scorers. You brought scorers. this guy in to do power one play. thing, give him the chance to do one, that Yeah, he, I, he was like one of the most prolific power play goal scorers like, since he's entered the league. Yeah. And you're going to start him on the second unit just because you want to give these guys an opportunity. Like I understand like the whole competitiveness, but it's like Ottawa also finished with one of the worst records in the league last year. You yeah. had a dynamic talent. Like I don't care who it is. You had a dynamic offensive talent. You got to play him on the top unit. Yeah. You got to find a role for him. And, you know, and, and it all kind of points back to, well, if you put him on the offside and use him opposite of Josh Norris, then what do you do with Stussel? Because that was his spot. It's like, well, in my head, I'm like, the easy fix is just to put him at the top, put him at the top of the umbrella, mm-hmm. relegate Thomas Shabbat to the second unit. Obviously, like playing five forwards is, isn't is that common. Um, but, I mean, you talk about dynamic offensive talent and, yep. and Thomas Shabbat's power play impacts have been negligible since he's been around. So it's like having Stussel there where he ran it for Germany, um, not a huge difference, right? 
it's just I think it's something he'd be capable of. And then you have a lot of dynamic guys on the top unit. But through the through the preseason, Ottawa scored like eight power play goals, which was tied for the league lead in the preseason. So um, both units were clicking and they're dangerous. And I think if you have that much offensive talent up front, like Ottawa does, um, good things will happen. It's just I think, you know, when push comes to shove, it's just a matter of putting the guys in the right spot. Hopefully there's no egos that kind of worry about ice time and everything else. But um they, they have a chance to do some special stuff on the, on special teams. And then on the PK, obviously losing Connor Brown's a below. He was a significant part of that unit last year. But I think you've also got Matthew Joseph, who will be around. you got Shane Panto, who's a good up-and-coming two-way player. Um, maybe start giving some more defensive responsibilities to like the Stuzlas, Norrises, mm-hmm. and uh, what have you. But um, Alex Formington obviously hasn't signed a contract either, but he was a huge part of the penalty-killing unit last year too. So um, it... it it's it wasn't a great unit last year, but it can be better. And uh, I think as Ottawa gets more talented up front, it's it's it should improve as well. So you know, there's been a lot of optimism around the team. There absolutely should be. The only thing that you know at this point seems like it could really damage them would be a, a rough start. And this team has had those uh, a couple of times recently, where they're essentially dead and buried by the end of November. DJ Smith has had the pressure, in my opinion, squarely put on his shoulders at this point because Dorian's done his job. There was no reason to fire DJ Smith in the past. He didn't have the team to perform, and then they ran into COVID and injuries and all kinds of other things. He has been handed, uh, you know, a lot of exciting new tools and a lot of pressure that comes along with that. How important is it for his tenure or for his job stability for this team not to get off to the same type of start they have in the last couple seasons. Well, I'd even go a step further and say it's just huge for the organization in general. Like this team needs to sell tickets. It needs to carry the momentum that they built in the offseason through and through. And like this this core, this core has to play meaningful games at some point. Like right. that's like the next phase in their development where these guys have to play meaningful games down the stretch. Um and, and learn what it takes to win in this league. I, I think that's paramount. Um, you know, they've had offensive success. They've they've had, you know, you look at Brady Kachuk and Josh Norris. Like like these guys have had great seasons. Tim Stutzel's had a had a great uh, year last year. Like these guys have individually had great seasons, but like as a collective, they've done nothing. Right. Um, and, and that's the next organic, hopefully, phase of their development where like this team just continues to grow internally and then prove that they can develop into a winner and. Um, getting off to a hot start is going to be important. And I think if you look at Ottawa's schedule, like they start against Buffalo on Thursday, then it's Toronto on Saturday, and then they play Boston, Washington, Arizona, Dallas, Minnesota, and Florida. I think if you look at that schedule, you're saying, okay, Toronto could be a tough game. Minnesota's probably a tough game. Florida is probably a tough game, but maybe Washington could be a potential 50 50 game. But aside from that, like, you know, Boston has injuries. Buffalo's a weak team. Arizona's a weak team. Dallas is another weak team. Like, you should be able to. If, if they're not above 500 after like this month, I'd be, I don't know. I think that would be disappointing. And, you know, that's just what, two, five, eight games. Like if, if they're not better than four and four, mm-hmm. I'd be really disappointed. But, um, well, so maybe I asked just, the, that's kind of just where we're at. That's, that's just the function of where we're at. So I think like DJ Smith is under a lot of pressure, yeah. but again, like he didn't, he didn't get the piece that he needed to help improve this thing the most, right? And that was a great defenseman. So it's like you're kind of waiting for the shoe to drop in the sense that you're hoping that Ottawa makes another move at some point soon. But yeah. if they don't, if they if they don't, and and the team starts poorly, then I think DJ Smith's probably going to be the guy who pays the price for it. But again, like the blue lines, the blue line is Pierre Dorian's blue line. Yes, as much as much as the work is, uh, as much as the work that he did up front is, is his, and you know he deserves credit to like sign all his players to extensions, te- relatively team-friendly extensions. And, you know, he went out and got Alex Dabrinkat, but Alex Dabrinkat hasn't signed an extension yet. Nope. Um, and, you know, he signed Claude Giroux. Well, did Claude Giroux sign here because Dorian wooed him, or did he sign here because it was Ottawa and only Ottawa? Like, those are questions that we don't really have an answer to. Um, and, and Dorian didn't get the defenseman that he needed to. So those are like, I think there's pressure on Dorian, and I think there's pressure on Smith, but I think all the pressure's on Smith. Uh, to be the fall guy if this doesn't get off to a good start. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, from from the outside sort of looking in, that's uh, sort of how this comes across. Right now, Pierre Dorian, even though your point is legit that it's his blue line, he's bulletproof right now. And, uh, and Oh, for sure. Like, and, and, you know, in fairness to him, he, he had a great summer. He right? did. Like, he but at the did. same time, it's like if this team 
falls short because the areas of weakness weren't addressed, well, yep. unfortunately, he has to he has to kind of own that as well, right? Like you can't have it both ways. I just it feels a little like those expectations maybe have put DJ on the hot smith, whether or hot the hot smith, the the hot hot smith. <laughs> I've been nice. so used to calling it hot Pierce summer all year summer. That's, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it, that, that those expectations have put him on the hot seat a little bit as well. And, and I guess that's fair, right? With expectations come pressure and they need to get off to a hot start and they don't have time to fall way out of it before, you know, making a do pulling the trigger on something, right? To, whether it be the trade for the defenseman. And if the, tr- that trade's not out there, maybe it's a new coach. Cause the, this is there's a lot riding on this season, and uh, and that's oh for sure as you've pointed out, that's what you want, right? You want it to matter, right? You want these games to suddenly be important again and to be relevant again. So, um, I, I think that's an important uh, step for the for the organization. One of the things uh, you know that we should touch on before we wrap this up is, you know, you've said that they want to be pushing for a playoff spot, and that's pretty clear. And and I have seen a couple predictions. Uh, today from ESPN had the Senators in the playoffs. Uh, I have seen a couple predictions that have the Sens making it in. Um, certainly they're going to be better. I think, you know, the goal obviously, yes, has to be to challenge for a playoff spot. I'm not sure who you think is the most likely to fall out, whether it's going to be a crossover Boston's lineup. Uh, I saw on Tuesday, uh, their practice Bergeron wasn't playing and that with the other injuries already there, that lineup looked incredibly beatable. I know they'll have guys getting back Florida's moves. I'm not sure if they're as good as they were last year, even if they brought the same lineup back, that defense looks weak. Um, we'll see what their goaltending is going to be this year. Uh, who is the sitting duck if Ottawa is going to get in? I think Washington's vulnerable yeah. simply because they're old yeah. um, and they have injuries. Like Carl Hagel was announced he's going to miss the foreseeable future with the hip injury. He's bit. getting he's getting a surgery. Nicholas Backstrom again. Yeah. Um, they they made some moves obviously to address some of their holes, like mm-hmm. Connor Brown and, and and a few others. Dylan Strome. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just like they're just one of those teams that look like they've had a lot of success before, and they're kind of like the windows closed, right? And they're just kind of fading into that. The oh we probably should retool soon <laughs> and Boston Boston obviously like they're vulnerable right like Marshawn's hurt to start the year McAvoy's hurt to start the year um I know they they got Bergeron back I know like David Krejci's back um there's there's some stuff there that helps them but at the same time like they have some significant injuries to overcome yeah. and if those guys aren't back until like after Christmas like they could be looking at a huge deficit mm-hmm. and then maybe you're having conversations about well if this is Bergeron's last season and uh, conceivably, uh, maybe he's looking at retirement or maybe he's looking at like a one last kick of the can kind of thing. Like maybe they're talking about moving him, you know, like yep. you, you just don't really know how the season for Boston is going to turn around because I think the Eastern conference is a slog. It is. Um, there, there aren't really that many easy opponents anymore. I know like Buffalo, Detroit and Ottawa were kind of like the teams in Montreal were the teams yep. that like teams would get excited to play, but now it's, you know, all those teams are starting to improve a little bit with the exception of Montreal and, and Philly. they'll be tough. They'll be tougher. They'll be, they'll be harder to uh, push and, and we'll see, we'll see what happens. But like Florida, again, like you mentioned, their de- defense, like trading Uyghur is going to be a huge disastrous yeah. blow to that group. And I know they have a lot of firepower up front and they got some really uh, enjoyable players, but I mean, you remove Weger and Huberto from that lineup, and uh, Anthony declares hurt to start the season as well. So Mason it's just Marchman's gone. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those situations where you're thinking, okay, well, maybe this team's due for a hit as well. And you know, between Boston, Washington, and Florida, I think those are the three vulnerable teams that that could have outs. But I mean, injuries happen all the time in hockey, and you have no idea you have no idea how it's going to play out. So last one for you here, then. Uh, you know, this is perhaps the the most exciting offseason the team has had in at least in recent memory we can go at least that far uh can you remember like what's your level as a fan of excitement going into this year compared to other years can you remember like how how far back would we have to go to find a year where you were this excited for your your team oh man because even um, that 2017 run that came out of nowhere no one started that I mean, season I would, going like they're going to be I would, Probably say, oh, in terms of excitement and expectations, everything like I kind of compare this to like the late 90s senators where it's like not they're not 
at that level where it's like, okay, these guys are to be contenders this year, but it's like that kind of organic build where it feels like you're actually building towards something right. productively. Yeah. And it's like, to me, I'm not necessarily worried about like, is this team a playoff team? Is it, is it contending for a cup? It's just like, is this team trending in the right direction? Yeah. And to me, it feels like it is. It's just, it, it becomes a question of like, okay, what do we have to do to get this team to the next level? And I think like looking back at those like late nineties teams, it always felt like they had the building blocks in place to get there. It was just a matter of just kind of how do we keep it on the, that upwards trajectory. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of like the same thing with this team. Whereas, you know, the last, I'd say the last 10 years, it was like whenever this team had success, it was kind of unexpected. Yeah. Right. Like there was the Andrew Hammond run. There's a 2017 run where like everybody got healthy and they just got hot at the right time. Mm-hmm. And they had some favorable matches in the postseason. <laughs> um, but yeah, like in, in terms of being excited about the upside and everything else, I'd say like, this is kind of going back to like, to, for me, just in terms of like unbridled optimism and everything else, like you're probably talking like 2005, 2006. But for me, what this stage is right now is reminiscent of the late 90s. Right. Yeah. Even anecdotally speaking, and it's hard to remember because we're coming off of, you know, forget everything that the organization has been through um, and its attendance that way, even through the pandemic, it kind of is hard to remember the way things felt before that. Just anecdotally speaking, the number of people I've spoken to here in Ottawa who have just been like, yeah, no, grab tickets for the whatever November 4th game or just like more excited to go back reinvesting in the organization in ways that I don't remember being quite as common. Like it's an NHL city. People go to games, but it just feels a little more right now, right? Like people are ready to get back into this in a bigger way. I think people just want to be re-engaged, right? Like it's been such a it's been such a downturn for the better part of the last like 15 years. I know they've had success. They went to the, like the Eastern Conference yeah. Final in in 2017, and, there, and there's been like those moments of success where it's like the All Star Game. There was a buzz about that. There was a buzz about all the All Star representation where they had like McCulloch, Spezza, Carlson, and Alfie. Uh, you had like Carlson's Norris Trophy seasons and everything else. But there there was always stuff going on in the background that you're like, oh man, yeah. And and you saw it, like attendance eroded over time, and I think like now, I think it's all kind of behind us a little bit in the sense that like the community is willing to forgive what's happened in the last little bit, and they're willing to come back to this team because they're reengaged. They want to be reengaged with the product, and there's a lot of young talent on this team that they're excited about. I think like you you look at the community's response to guys like Brady Kachuk, Josh Norris, Tim Stutzla, Thomas Shabbat, Jake Sanderson. Like there's a buzz about these players. Yeah. And and there's so many guys on this team that everybody's excited about, like the Brink at Giroux. Like it goes on and on. And it's just a matter of like it's it, for the first time in a long time, the off ice stuff is finally aligning with the on ice stuff where everything everyone's like, Okay, this feels like it's going really good. And then you're you know, you're hoping it just continues in that direction. I think there's a lot of buy in uh from the fan base. And I think it it's it's inevitably it's gonna it's gonna carry over into ticket sales and everything else. And it's just you just you really, really hope that this team gets off to a decent start and then kind of builds on the, that momentum. Because if they if they kind of struggle out of the gate a little bit, it's it's I don't want to say it's going to let the air out of the balloon, but it's going to make things a lot harder to reach the postseason. Sure. And uh, it's going to put a lot more pressure on the guys making the decisions, whether it's DJ Smith with the lineups or the team's performance or like Pierre Dorian for not addressing the blue line. I think it's going to put a lot of pressure on those guys to say, shit. Why didn't we do this? Or why? How do we address this now? And it, it it could be difficult. It could be really difficult for them. Yeah, the last thing they need right now is to stub their toe trying to get out of the gate here and and just just get off to a nice start. Doesn't have to be a great start or a hot, but just don't you know don't don't have it blow up in anybody's face or or anything like that. And uh, I think at this point that it's reasonable to expect that these Battle of Ontario games this season are going to be a lot more fun and. Uh, a lot more competitive than they have been in the last couple seasons. How did the uh, how did the Cosmic... because of Matt Murray? Yeah, yeah. I, I had to get that in. So I appreciate that. Of it was course. very subtle. He, uh, as we <laughs> talked about on Twitter, man, people are... had a great preseason. <laughs> Can I just say that people in Toronto are really sensitive about Matt Murray? It's terrible. Like you throw like a joking tweet out there, and like people just like latch onto it. They're like. Think it's real? Yeah. No, oh, no. but it's like it's 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 so funny. Like I don't like. It's nothing against the guy. Like I, sure. I personally don't wish any like ill will against the no. player or anything like that. But it's just like the same the same faith is being put into Matt Murray that was Ottawa Ottawa fans were putting into him like two years ago. Where it's like the same arguments and everything are being brought up 
Well, I hope it was understood when you and I traded elbows there last week that it was fairly tongue-in-cheek that his hundred minutes had sold me. Like, he was going to be fine. But Uh, it's just like, oh, man. It's just everything's like, well, he's got two cups. Ottawa doesn't have two cups. It's like, oh, okay, okay. If you want to live off his first two seasons in the league. Yeah. Because, you know, like the same arguments that Ottawa fans were making two years ago. Of course. The same arguments that are being made now. But it's like, no, no, Toronto's going to fix them. It's like, well. Easy to say, easy to say, tough to do, but two organizations have already given up on him, so we'll see. Well, and even Ilya Samsonov. Yeah, it is. uh, You know, the Washington Capitals just gave up on him, and you're like, well, he was a first-round pick, and there's, yeah, but they literally only had to qualify him, and they decided not to, so... It was an expensive qualifying offer. It was, but there's a certain amount of, look, I'm heavily, I'm obviously hoping for the best, I'm being as optimistic as I can be, but I am... I have concerns about, uh, and I, if the Leafs get better than 894 goaltending this season, it will be an improvement on last year. So we haven't set the bar high for either of these guys. Just just stay healthy, stay in the net, and let's see what happens is sort of where I'm at now. I, I, I don't expect a return to form of the guy who won two cups what, six years ago now or whatever it is? It's it's been a while. It's, it's been, been a while, while you man. You can't take those away from him, man. No, I can't, and I would never want to. <laughs> That's, uh, you've earned those. Uh, how'd the Cosmic Latte treat you? It's not bad. It's not my favorite Beyond the Pale, but yeah. it's uh, uh, seasonal in the sense of, you know, sure. coffee, coffee-ish beer. Yeah. yeah. But it's not bad. All right. Uh, this one started disappointing, ended disappointing. The uh, It's too bad because... Uh, the Fenland Falls Brewing Company, fairly uh, convenient to the family cottage. I was hoping for big things here, but uh, it is what it is. They can't all be winners, right? And uh, with that in mind, I guess I should remind everybody that uh, on Friday morning, Michaela Schreider and I will be back with an episode that will be recorded live over at the, nope, not live, it's a podcast, recorded over at the Need a Beer Company. Uh, we'll do our usual kind of general sports rundown. And then uh, Andy Nita will be on to talk about this year's craft beer advent calendar and everything that's gone into that, where you can pick one up, all that kind of stuff. So stick around for uh, for that as well. Also, our Leafs preview show is up this week with uh, Jeff Vayette at, uh, at talkandaudio.com or wherever you're hearing this. So make sure you're subscribed to catch all of that. Uh, appreciate you doing this as always, man. No, I appreciate you having me, Matt. It's always a pleasure. Sorry I wasn't uh, able to come into studio live. Um uh, we're going to get that done. We will, uh, we will one day get that done. Yeah, I, just, I don't want to give you the uh, sinus cold that I've got uh, going on right now. So I really if I sound nasally on the recording, apologies to all your listeners. But <laughs> you got a nice bassy always, enough voice anyway. So Always enjoy coming on and uh, talking hockey with you and rubbing the uh, rubbing some least misery <laughs> in, your, in your face. So yeah, I don't get enough fun. of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, where can Absolutely. the good people find your work? Uh, you can find my work at gnichols.substack.com. You can find me on Twitter at Graham Nichols, G-R-A-E-M-E-N-I-C-H-O-L-S. And uh, yeah, that's where you can find my stuff. I haven't written my, I should be writing more than I have been. It's just, it's, I'm going through a terrible stretch right now in terms of work and everything else. So, and kids, two kids and everything else, but uh, I should be writing more than I have been. So uh, that'll hopefully kickstart soon. So he's a busy man and, uh, and the season's getting underway. There'll be plenty to talk about. Uh, appreciate it always, as always, man. And, uh, no, always enjoy coming on, Matt. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll wind this one down here. And uh, like I said, stick around for Michaela Schreider on Friday. Go back and check out Jeff Fayette teeing up the Leafs. Uh, we are on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio. And uh, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're hearing us right now on your favorite podcast app. There's a follow button, a subscribe button. Go ahead and hit that. We'll keep the good stuff coming for you. For Graham Nichols, my name's Matt Robinson, and we will catch you all next time. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still count was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! Ha 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 ha!